This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Julian Jameson. The Yosemite by John Muir. Chapter 4. Part A. Snow Banners. But it is on the mountain tops, when they are laden with loose, dry snow and swept by a gale from the north, that the most magnificent storm scenery is displayed. The peaks along the axis of the range are then decorated with resplendent banners, some of them more than a mile long, shining, streaming, waving with solemn, exuberant enthusiasm, as if celebrating some surpassingly glorious event. The snow of which these banners are made falls on the high Sierra in most extravagant abundance, sometimes to a depth of fifteen or twenty feet, coming from the fertile clouds not in large angled flakes, such as one oftentimes sees in Yosemite, seldom even in complete crystals, for many of the starry blossoms fall before they are ripe, while most of those that attain perfect development as six-petaled flowers are more or less broken by glinting and chafing against one another on the way down to their work. This dry, frosty snow is prepared for the grand, banner-waving celebrations by the action of the wind. Instead of at once finding rest, like that which falls into the tranquil depths of the forest, it is shoved and rolled and beaten against boulders and outjutting rocks, swirled in pits and hollows like sand in river potholes, and ground into sparkling dust. And when storm winds find this snow dust in a loose condition on the slopes above the timber line, they toss it back into the sky and sweep it onward from peak to peak in the form of smooth, regular banners, or in cloudy drifts, according to the velocity and direction of the wind, and the conformation of the slopes over which it is driven. While thus flying through the air, a small portion escapes from the mountains to the sky as vapor, but for the greater part is at length locked fast in bossy, overcurling cornices along the ridges, or in stratified sheets in the glacier cirques, some of it to replenish the small residual glaciers, and remain silent and rigid for centuries, before it is finally melted and sent singing down home to the sea. But, though snow-dust and storm-winds abound on the mountains, regular shapely banners are, for causes we shall presently see, seldom produced. During the five winters that I spent in Yosemite, I made many excursions to high points above the walls in all kinds of weather, to see what was going on outside. From all my lofty outlooks I saw only one banner-storm that seemed in every way perfect. This was in the winter of 1873, when the snow-laden peaks were swept by a powerful norther. I was awakened 
early in the morning by a wild storm wind, and, of course, I had to make haste to the middle of the valley to enjoy it. Rugged torrents and avalanches from the main wind flood overhead were roaring down the side canyons and over the cliffs, arousing the rocks and the trees and the streams alike into glorious, hurrahing enthusiasm, shaking the whole valley into one huge song. Yet, inconceivable as it must seem, even to those who love all nature's wildness, the storm was telling its story on the mountains in still grander characters. A WONDERFUL WINTER SCENE I had long been anxious to study some points in the structure of the ice hill at the foot of the upper Yosemite Fall, but, as I have already explained, blinding spray had hitherto prevented me from getting sufficiently near it. This morning the entire body of the fall was oftentimes torn into gauzy strips and blown horizontally along the face of the cliff, leaving the ice hill dry, and, while making my way to the top of Fern Ledge, to seize so favorable an opportunity to look down its throat, the peaks of the Merced group came in sight over the shoulder of the South Dome, each waving a white glowing banner against the dark blue sky, as regular in form and firm and fine in texture as if it were made of silk. So rare and splendid a picture, of course, smothered everything else, and I at once began to scramble and wallow up the snow-choked Indian canyon to a ridge about eight thousand feet high, commanding a general view of the main summits along the axis of the range, feeling assured I should find them bannered still more gloriously. Nor was I in the least disappointed. I reached the top of the ridge in four or five hours, and through an opening in the woods the most imposing windstorm effect I ever beheld came full in sight. Unnumbered mountains rising sharply into the cloudless sky, their bases solid white, their sides plashed with snow like ocean rocks with foam, and on every summit a magnificent silvery banner, from two thousand to six thousand feet in length, slender at the point of attachment and widening gradually until about a thousand or fifteen hundred feet in breadth, and as shapely and as substantial-looking in texture as the banners of the finest silk, all streaming and waving, free and clear in the sun-glow, with nothing to blur the sublime picture they made. Fancy yourself standing beside me, on this Yosemite ridge. There is a strange, garish glitter in the air, and the gale drives wildly overhead, but you feel nothing of its violence, for you are looking out through a sheltered opening in the woods, as through a window. In the immediate foreground there is a forest of silver fir, their foliage warm yellow-green, and the snow beneath them strewn with their plumes, plucked off by the storm, and beyond broad, 
ridgy, canyon-furrowed, dome-dotted, middle-ground, darkened here and there with belts of pines, you behold the lofty, snow-laden mountains in glorious array, waving their banners with jubilant enthusiasm as if shouting aloud for joy. They are twenty miles away, but you would not wish them nearer, for every feature is distinct, and the whole wonderful show is seen in its right proportions, like a painting on the sky. And now, after this general view, mark how sharply the ribs and buttresses and summits of the mountains are defined, excepting the portions veiled by the banners. How gracefully and nobly the banners are waving in accord with the throbbing of the wind-flood. How trimly each is attached to the very summit of its peak, like a streamer at a masthead. How bright and glowing white they are, and how finely their fading fringes are penciled on the sky. See how solid white and opaque they are at the point of attachment, and how filmy and translucent toward the end, so that the parts of the peaks past which they are streaming look dim as if seen through a veil of ground glass, and see how some of the longest of the banners on the highest peaks are streaming perfectly free from peak to peak across intervening notches or passes, while others overlap and partly hide one another. As to their formation, we find that the main causes of the wondrous beauty and perfection of those we are looking at are the favorable direction and force of the wind, the abundance of snow-dust, and the form of the north sides of the peaks. In general, the north sides are concave in both their horizontal and vertical sections, having been sculptured into this shape by the residual glaciers that lingered in the protecting northern shadows, while the sun-beaten south sides, having never been subjected to this kind of glaciation, are convex or irregular. It is essential, therefore, not only that the wind should move with great velocity and steadiness to supply a sufficiently copious and continuous stream of snow-dust, but that it should come from the north. No perfect banner is ever hung on the Sierra peaks by the south wind. Had the gale to-day blown from the south, leaving the other conditions unchanged, only swirling, interfering cloudy drifts would have been produced, for the snow, instead of being spouted straight up and over the tops of the peaks in condensed currents to be drawn out as streamers, would have been driven over the convex southern slopes from peak to peak like white pearly fog. It appears, therefore, that shadows in great part determine not only the forms of lofty ice mountains, but also those of the snow banners that the wild winds hang upon them. End of chapter 4, part A